Hi, I'm Grayson Willis. Thank you for joining us today on the podcast for Harrisonburg Nazarene Church. Be sure to subscribe for the latest updates and new episodes to this podcast. You can now search for our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcast, and TuneIn. Catch us each Sunday at 9 and 10.30 on Facebook Live. Also, this Sunday, we'll have an outdoor service at 9 a.m. Well, welcome back to our series called Burning Questions. Burning Questions. This series kicked off last week, and we're continuing today in a three-part series that is answering each week a big question, a burning question. Uh, that a question we have within the church, but even more importantly, questions that people are asking all around us. And we believe for such a time as this, as the church, that we have to be asking these questions. We have to be able to respond biblically, compassionately, obediently to the questions that we're asking. And so we're jumping in this week uh, to learn what God's word, what his truth tells us about this week's burning question, are all marriages created equal? Are all marriages created equal? That's our burning question for this week. You may say, why this question? Why today? Well, there's an increased emphasis in our culture on the acceptance and practice of homosexuality. It has become the primary kind of litmus test of tolerance. And in some cases, the church has kind of followed this trend by accepting this practice, many churches have been divided over this issue, and some um, continue to be disunified. So, so it is imperative for us, even for just one Sunday, to take a moment to understand what the Bible says about this polarizing issue, and even, even just as important, how we are to respond for such a time as this. With that said, let's pray. Can we do that? Uh, God, today we come to you and we seek you for wisdom and truth. This series is not uh, about uh, everyone's opinions. This is not what I think. This is what you would have to say to us, Lord. And so as I've spent time this week researching, studying, leaning into your word, seeking what uh, your truth has to say to us about this question, I ask now, Lord, that you would speak, that we would hear your words, not my words, God. And when we're all said and done, when it's time to go, when it's time to dismiss this time of worship together, I pray that we would have clarity from your word and your truth on how to live as your people for such a time as this. We need you, and we invite your Holy Spirit to come and speak to our hearts even now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. I want to begin by acknowledging something today. I want to acknowledge that there are some within our church that wrestle with same-sex attraction. I want to start by acknowledging that there are people watching today, and sometimes when your topic for the day gets posted online, you get more people watching and more people listening, and and some people will watch this after we do it and listen afterwards. And so anyone that's watching today, anyone that's listening today, whether you're part of our church or not, but you are homosexual, you're gay, you're lesbian, you you wrestle with same-sex attraction, I want to begin first by speaking something to you. I want to begin talking directly to you today. As a pastor, as a follower of Christ, as a believer in Christ, I want to begin by asking for your forgiveness. I want to ask your forgiveness for the way that in the name of Jesus, many believers have mistreated you. 
that they have pushed you to the margins. They have uh, ignored you or even spoken really, really mean, hateful words towards you. And for that, I want to ask your forgiveness. And I I really want to begin saying three things to you today. First is this. I I want you to know three things. First, I want you to know if that's you today and you're watching or you're listening Maybe you're fearful about what a pastor might say about a topic like this. I want you to know three things. First, I want you to know that God loves you, that he loves you, that when we read that God loves the world, we don't read that that's everyone else but you. No, no, no. Our God loves you. You are his beloved and his child. He has a plan for your life. I want you to know God loves you. Next, I want you to know that I love you. I love you. This issue that we're talking about today is deeply personal for me. That as I have studied and I have prayed, I have wept over this issue because there are people in my life that I dearly love that this impacts in a very real way. So I want to let you know, as I'm sharing today, I'm not sharing kind of cold and and disconnected. This is real for me and this hits home. And so I want you to know, if that's you today, that I love you. Finally, I want you to know today that this church loves you. This church loves you. We are called as a church to a great mission, a kingdom mission. And that mission that we're called to calls us beyond the comfort and safety of our home, of our church walls. It it calls us to go. It calls us to build bridges and, and relationships with people that we may not agree with, with people that we may not understand, with people whose lifestyles will be different than us. And because of that, I say to you confidently today that this church loves you. This church is committed to love you. And I want to begin by letting you know those three things. God loves you, and I love you, and this church loves you. We're going to dive into the word today, and we're going to, we're going to come to the text today and seek to approach it with grace and truth. I believe that's how Jesus taught us, that there's truth, and we believe truth, but there's this measure of grace that we have to respond to. And so we're going to do that. We're going to start really at the beginning in Genesis chapter 1. I think this is foundational for us today, and I've got it here on the screen behind me. It says this, Genesis 1, 27. It says, God created mankind in his own image. The image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. This, of course, is the creation account of all mankind found in Genesis 1. And if we turn the page to Genesis 2, we see more specifically some details here behind the creation. And I'm summarizing lots of text for the sake of time. But here in Genesis 2, 18, we see the Lord God say this. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man right? Adam, we just saw the cool puppet video, right? It's not good for him to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And so the creator creates. The creator creates. And out of the rib of man, he forms woman. And we fast forward just to the very end of this passage, verse 24, Genesis 2, it says these words, that is why a man leaves his father and mother, is united with his wife, and that they become one flesh. One flesh. That verse, verse 24, is not just popular at weddings, right? This is a foundational account of the creation of mankind, of God's intention at the very beginning as he breathed life into man and as he formed woman and as he put them together. There's three important truths that we find from these texts in Genesis 1 and 2. First is this, God created male, he created female, and they were uniquely made in his image. 
It was not an accident. It was uniquely made. Each male, the female, made in his image. Next, God created sexual intimacy. He created intimacy between man and woman that they became one. That was God's design from the beginning. Three, from this text, we see that God created one man to be with one woman. That was his design from the very beginning. Furthermore, as we dive into this question, we could spend a lot of time today talking about uh, throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, we read because of God's design in Genesis 1 and 2 that the practice of homosexuality is sinful. We read about it in the book of Leviticus. We read about it in the Old Testament. We go on to the New Testament in the book of Romans 1. Uh, it's referred to time and time again because of God's creation, because of his plan in the beginning. Going against that plan is, in fact, sinful. But I don't want to focus on those passages yet today because I want to bring us back to the question. In order to answer the question that we have today, I want us to look at Matthew 19. Matthew 19, uh, we're going to hear Jesus. This is brief today. It's just a few words from Jesus. But I think these words are important because of what we just read in Genesis 1 and 2. In uh, reading Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 19, as he points us in the New Testament, he points us back to the Old Testament. This is what it says, Matthew 19, verse uh, 4. It says this, Jesus says, haven't you read... He replied, and I'll set the context here in a minute. But Jesus says, haven't you read that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, uh, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. That just sound familiar, isn't it? Jesus says these words, verse 6, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Now, to be clear, Jesus is not speaking on the issue of homosexuality. In fact, he's actually speaking on the issue of marriage. But I think it's very important for us as we read to understand, to understand that Jesus, when asked to address and to speak into this idea of marriage, right, he speaks, he points directly back to the passage in Genesis chapter 2 that we just read, that the foundation of creation, it, it should matter to us. It should matter to us that marriage, as described by Jesus, is between a man and a woman. He, he could have taken that moment to redesign, to help us reimagine what marriage was to be. But when Jesus responded to marriage, he specifically pointed back to the foundational text in Genesis chapter 2 about one man and one woman. Furthermore, consider the Bible that Jesus read, right? That's the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch. That, that's the Bible Jesus read. And the Bible that Jesus read, it, it prohibited same-sex marriage. Specifically, and as you look back on the Old Testament, oftentimes as you talk about this issue biblically, people like to point out that the Old Testament is unreliable in these matters. That's what they would say. Isn't the Old Testament out of date, they would say. Because after all, there are laws in the Old Testament that we ignore, like uh, how you cut your hair or whether you can eat shellfish or not, right? right? We don't uphold those laws, so why do we, in Leviticus 16, decide that we have to uphold the law that says homosexuality is wrong, but we don't have to uphold the other laws? That's a really good question. And again, this is the Bible Jesus read. You have to stop and look and understand that there's a, a whole body of laws within the Old Testament, and they really could fall down into one of two categories. There's what we would call ceremonial laws, 
and moral laws. Ceremonial laws had to do with ritual uh, uncleanliness. And so ceremonial laws, as we read about in the Old Testament, they were tied to the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. And so because of that, they are time-bound. What does that mean? It means that as Jesus came, Jesus came, and really because of his sacrifice on the cross, he did away. He did away with all of the ceremonial laws. They were no longer valid because of Christ. And so all of these ceremonial laws that we read about in the Old Testament we do ignore. Why? Because they are time-bound. They were time-bound to the children of Israel, the people of God, in the time that they were written. But because of Jesus, we are no longer bound by those laws anymore. That's why we can cut our hair and eat us some shellfish. They were fulfilled in Christ. But, but there's this whole other set of laws in the Old Testament, which are moral laws. And moral laws addressed immoral behavior. And these laws are timeless. We don't look at the uh, Ten Commandments and consider them old hat just because they're in the Old Testament. We don't decide which of the Ten Commandments we want to obey and which we don't. Why? Because they were moral laws. They were not connected to a sacrificial system. Because of that, they were timeless. They continued on after Christ. Consider, consider Jesus, as he taught and as he lived, he never, he never looked past the moral laws of the Old Testament. In fact... We see time and time again him strengthening the moral laws of the Old Testament. Consider, you know, Jesus gave this example as he was teaching. He said, as you have heard it said, do not commit adultery. That's a moral law, right? But I say to you, but I say to you, right, that even when you look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. So what was Jesus doing? He was taking a moral law, and he wasn't doing away with it. He was actually strengthening it. He was actually bringing it to life. And so, so it should matter to us. That the moral law written in the Bible that Jesus read prohibited homosexuality. And nowhere else in scripture do we see Jesus taking a moral law of the Old Testament and ripping it up and saying that doesn't matter anymore. There were examples of same-sex unions in Jesus' day, specifically among the Romans. There were examples of same-sex unions, but even then we have no biblical examples concept of same-sex relationship or same-sex marriage. When given the opportunity, Jesus reminds everyone of the creation account, which became the foundation of the moral law. So we must conclude, we must conclude that no, all marriages are not created equal. God designed marriage as between one man and one woman. Now, pause for a minute because some of you as we began to talk about this question today, when, when you heard the topic was gay marriage, all you wanted to do was hear me declare that the practice of homosexuality is sinful. And now that I have, you're breathing easy. But I hit the pause button for a minute because don't you see a problem here? You see, the challenge is this. The challenge is this. As our culture has elevated its emphasis on the acceptance of homosexual behavior, you know what the church has done? We have elevated, we've elevated homosexuality to be the sin above all other sins. And so, and so the problem for us is, as believers in Christ, how are we to respond? Not, not what are we to believe, I think that's clear. And I've done my best in the limited amount of time that I have to lay that out biblically for us. And so my question is not so much what are we to believe, but the question is how are we to respond with our focus on Jesus. 
with our focus. We, we just read his words in Matthew 19. I think it's okay that to respond, we take our cue from Jesus also. Consider three of the most famous stories that Jesus ever told. <laughs> at, least, at least one of them, probably two. Even those that are not familiar with the Bible at all would know these stories. And consider, these three stories that he tells in the book of Luke 15 begin with an accusation of Jesus. Look there with me just briefly, Luke 15. We've studied this text before, but verse 1 and 2 of Luke 15, consider the accusations made against Jesus. It said this, uh, Luke 15, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees, that's the religious leaders, that's the elite, Right? The Pharisees, the teachers of the law, muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. That's the accusation. This guy, Jesus, he welcomes the sinners. He eats with them. That was not a small thing. Eating was a sign of relationship. It was a sign of love. It was a sign of, of a commitment in a relationship, in a friendship. And so Jesus doesn't just welcome sinners. He eats with them. And in response to that accusation... Jesus tells three stories. He tells three stories, probably the most powerful stories, about the lost being found, about the one. No matter how seemingly insignificant, each one being valuable. That each one matters, that each one has value, that no one in his kingdom is discarded. No one is disregarded. We, we can't we don't just have to read his stories in Luke 15. You can, you should, but consider how Jesus lived. Again, we're asking ourselves, how do we respond as believers in Christ? Consider how Jesus lived. Jesus modeled his ministry. It was about relationship. He cared deeply about relationship. And I wrote it this way, that he often began a relationship with love. Jesus leads with love. Jesus leads with love. What does that mean? Well, let me give you an example. The Roman centurion. It's a story in scripture where the Roman centurion comes to meet the Jewish Messiah. Now, uh, Jesus was a Jew. Roman centurion, a Roman. The Jews did not like the Romans. They hated the Romans because they were the governing authority. They saw them as godless, as pagans. But, but the Roman centurion comes to Jesus and asks Jesus to heal his servant. Again, the Jews hated the Romans. But what does Jesus do? He leads with love. He leads with love. And the people would have been stunned. They would have been stunned. You know what Jesus didn't do? He didn't require him to drop his pagan practices first. You know what Jesus didn't do? Jesus didn't create a thick wall of moral conditions for the Roman centurion to leap over to get to him. Jesus leads with love. In fact, he's so moved by the Roman centurion's faith that he heals his servant on the spot. Jesus leads with love. Consider example number two is a guy named Matthew. We know his name because he became a follower of Jesus and we can read his words in the book that we just read in the gospel of Matthew. Matthew was a tax 
collector, we've talked about this before, but the tax collectors were Jewish sellouts to the Roman government. That They were traitors from their own people. And so they often enjoyed luxurious lifestyles while benefiting off their own people to support the enemy, the Romans. They were hated, despised among their own people. Jesus doesn't come to Matthew and say, first, you need to know where I stand on your sin. Jesus comes to Matthew and simply says, follow me. He leads with love. He leads with love. People were drawn to Jesus, not because their behaviors were affirmed, but because their humanity was affirmed. Because Jesus leads with love. The bottom line for us is I want to answer a question with a question. I know that seems like cheating, but I want to do it because our burning question for today demands an answer. But let me answer our burning question with a question. And my question is this, whom have you disqualified from God's love? Who is it in your life today, Christian, follower of Jesus, one who claims to know him and follow him and bear his name? Who is it in your life that you've disqualified from the love of God? If we take our cue from Jesus, if we follow, how must we respond? And we look at Jesus, Jesus leads with love. The answer to Jesus was no one is disqualified. No one is beyond my love. So the question for us as his believers, as his followers is, who is it that we've disqualified from God's love? Here's the secret. Here's the secret to engaging in meaningful relationships with anyone. So I'm talking to you today, church. Those of you that affirm and say, yeah, Bible's clear, homosexuality, that's a sin. Sinner, sinner, sinner. I'm talking to you, church, okay? How do we engage meaningfully with those in the LGBTQ community? How do we engage meaningfully with people that we would look at and say, oh, there's a sinner? How do we engage meaningfully? Here's the secret. Treat people like people. I know, nobody's like, wow, I never thought. No, no, think about it. Think about it. Treat them like people. Actually embrace the tension by developing a friendship over meals, over coffee, inviting someone into your home. Listen to them. Understand their dreams. Understand their fears. Get to know them. And then trust the Holy Spirit that lives in you. Trust the Holy Spirit. That lives in you. This is the problem for many of us as believers as we get to these uncomfortable areas where we don't know what to do and we don't know how to respond. And so we shut down, we push people away. We only surround ourselves with people that think like us and believe like us and look like us and act like us and their lifestyle reflects our lifestyle. And then we have no idea how to be obedient and carry out the Great Commission to go and to love. And but it begins with relationship and it begins by us relying on the Holy Spirit. We don't seek, church, to fix anyone, but we point them to Christ. We point them to Christ as we obey the Holy Spirit. Listen, ultimately, it's not my job to change lives. It's God's job. It's His job. And if His Holy Spirit is living in me and leading me, I can trust that the Spirit 
will walk with me, will go with me. My responsibility is to love people, to journey with people, to rely on the Holy Spirit, to guide me, to reveal truth, to pray and believe that that people will be drawn to Christ in me and through me. We must rely on the Holy Spirit to truly love, as Jesus calls us to love, leading with love in every single relationship. I want to close with a story. It's a unique story, but I think it's an important one for us. It's about Amy. Amy doesn't attend our church. And this story actually isn't a story that happened in our church, but I think Amy's story is so important. Because you see, Amy has a name. She has a story. She had dreams and goals. And she's a real person. Right? And what's the secret we just talked about? The meaningful relationships is treat them like an actual person. And Amy was a real person. See, Amy is a lesbian. And she got it in her mind one day that her and her partner were going to go to church. And truthfully, their intentions in going to church wasn't so much to worship, but they wanted to watch. They wanted to see. They wanted to experience what Christians, what those who bear the name Jesus, how they would respond how would the Christians responded when she held hands with her girlfriend? How would the Christians respond when she sat a little too close during worship? What would they say to her? And she expected, she expected judgment. She expected that they would maybe even force her to leave. But what Amy experienced that day was something very different. It was love. It was love. She shared her story about greeters welcoming her, welcoming them and giving them a gift. Several people took the time, but before and after the service, to look her in the eyes and engage her lovingly. A member of the church asked for her contact info so she could call her that week and follow up and ask how she was doing. You see, this church that Amy visited had a very clear stance regarding homosexuality. There was no gray area for them on what they believed, but this church had made a decision. Not a collective decision maybe, but individually a decision, one person at a time. They were going to lead with love. They were gonna lead with love. And that day, in that room, in that church, Amy experienced love that she didn't know that was possible. You know, as I think about as I think about that story, it challenges me. It challenges me to think about our church. How would our church respond? Would we be able to lead with love or would we, would we be so caught up? Would we be so worried that because it's sin and because it's biblical that we have to keep our distance? We have to build a wall and a barrier. But I'm fascinated, encouraged, challenged by a church. That would lead with love. But you know what else challenges me about that story is what Amy expected. She expected judgment. She expected to be pushed out. And I can't help but wonder, church, how, how many people would say that about the church? The church that bears the name Jesus. The church that we're called to take a stand on truth. And listen, today I'm speaking truth to you from God's word about what we believe but we're also called as a church to respond obediently, compassionately, lovingly 
that there should be a tension that forms deep within us as our hearts ache, as our hearts break for people around us that we love deeply. Our hearts should break on God. How can I love them better? How can I show your love more clearly? Not how can I distance myself, not how can I push them away, how, not, how can I make sure that I'm not associated with that? No, 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 but God, break my heart to show me how to lead with love to every person I come in contact with. So who is it today that you've disqualified from the love of God? I pray today, I pray today that our hearts would be open open to truth, open to what God's word says about what we should believe, but then open to know how we must respond in the days in which we're living. And just last week, we talked about this idea of unity. I believe that God wants to use his church in these days, that if we would lead with the love of Jesus, not apologizing for what we believe, not disowning what we believe, but if we would lead with love, not uh, removing anyone from God's love, truly loving each and every person that we come into contact with. I believe the world around us will see that and say, I want more of that. I want to experience that. I want to find out more about that kind of love. And God's word promises that when, when he is lifted up, when our God is lifted up, he will draw men and women, all people to himself. May that be true for us. Thank you again so much for listening today. Email us at info at abeaconofhope.org for any questions about our church. As soon as you're finished listening today, please subscribe to this channel for updates and new episodes.